cabins. Box cabins. Box cabins. Hello and welcome to Box Cutters episode 66. It's sometimes hard to hear. My name is Josh Canal. To my left, Mr. Ross McQueen. Hey, hey. And to my right, Mr. Brett Cropley. Good evening, viewers. And to my immediate left, the fascinatingly informative Tom Elliott. Josh, Brett, Ross, it's a wonderful pleasure to be in here. Fascinatingly informative. That's very brave of you. I mean, uh, day after Christmas, I've got very little to say here this evening. (laughs) Uh, Based on past performances... So it's it's a lot like uh, the speculation of how superannuation trusts will uh, will grow in the future based on past performances. Yeah, it's tend to be like an inverse correlation with the way people's brains decay as they get older. You know, <laughs> we're not like bottles of wine that sort of improve with age. Now, if you've uh, never listened to box cutters before, it is all about television. Uh, yes, I did say correctly. This is episode sixty-six. There are 65 other episodes plus one special edition you can get on the website at boxcutters.net. And if you only t- if you're brave, only if you're brave. If you take issue with anything we said, good or bad, uh, you can always email us hooray at boxcutters.net. But to kick things off, as we always do, here's the box cutters news. First up with the news, Brett Cropley. In uh, very big uh, local drama points news, the Channel 9 network has been accused of sidestepping local content rules by classifying a New Zealand drama as Australian. Rather than spend upwards of $300,000 an episode on local drama, Nine's thought to be paying about fifty grand for each episode of the New Zealand show Outrageous Fortune about a crime family trying to go straight. Uh, Channel Nine have come up a just bargain, it would seem. Yes, indeed. And uh, Channel Nine have come under a lot of uh, criticism for uh, not using uh, locally homegrown talents in uh, production and uh, on screen. A lot of that criticism came this week from SPA, the Screen Producers Association. Mm -hmm. They're quite angry about it. Now, I said uh, on the uh, podcast on the weekend, which was our end of year special edition alpha. That this was a result of our free trade agreement with New Zealand. But uh, someone who might be able to know a little bit more about that is Tom Elliott. Yes, well, um, that was one of the, I guess, unforeseen consequences of the New Zealand free trade agreement, which I think was signed about two years ago now. And it did mean that uh, local content, or local indeed from New Zealand, would count as Australian content. Of course, no one at the time thought there'd be anything that they'd really want to watch. I mean, New Zealand television only a decade ago consisted largely of sheepdog trials. And, uh, and if you've ever been over there and watched that, there's a lot of moments of silence and they go, oh, he was so close. But then still we, we haven't, uh, well, as far as I'm aware, we haven't seen Shortland Street over here. No, we have. We, uh, we saw it, it on, on, the cable? It was on, on SBS for SBS a while. SBS for a while, yeah. And it has been on cable. Oh, because it's a language other than English as I use there. 
<laughs> it's probably fair to say if you've got uh, upwards of a million New Zealanders living here that it's fair enough that they want to see something from the old country. So I don't really have a problem with that counting as local content. But, of course, Nine is going through a great bout of cost-cutting at the moment and uh, it is going to be affecting programming, I guarantee you, over the next 12 months. And I, I, I actually I don't see much of a problem. I think what's... You know, in, well, in what the, about local jobs, Josh? Well, what local drama was going to be shown over summer on Channel 9? None. None. What local drama is going to be made in excess but it's, of... It's, it's not the of, point. If, if we're not actually supporting our own industry, then but we are, but we the are industry su- dies. It, it we are supporting our industry because New Zealanders can come to Australia and work in Australia without needing any visas, without needing any problems... And what we're doing is essentially building up our community of, uh, of of television production. I don't see much. I don't see much of a problem with see, it. See, I'm, I'm going to have to disagree. I think it's. I think it's terrible. I think local production should be local production. Yep. Well, I think you're overlooking some of the great new programs which have come out in recent months. I mean, uh, where we be without Quizmania late at night these <laughs> days? You know, and, uh, this is a new entrant to the Australian television, admittedly late night scene. And uh, you know, I think you make a fantastic point. If Australia is going to spend all of its efforts making nothing but shit. Why, why should we not take what could be... Now, I haven't seen it at okay, Radio okay, and I don't know. Okay. I would prefer local content that was being made for pay TV, such as Love My Way... Or Dangerous. Or Dangerous. ...get a run on free-to-air TV. This would be much better than getting a New Zealand show on free-to-air. Except that the cable channels are not going to allow that to happen because they want to have whatever competitive advantage they can have over free-to-air television. And, and the big issue here, if you're looking at how much it costs to produce television, that an hour of locally produced drama still costs around half to, if not three quarters of a million dollars per hour. So when you think of those, uh, shows like uh, Water Rates, Stingers, you know, cop shows from the past, mm-hmm. that's how much they were costing. Whereas you can buy all these uh, legal and cop dramas from the States for around hundred dollars to $150,000 an episode. Mm-hmm. So you start showing those, but you still have to show the local content, and hence reality TV has become the great saviour of all the three commercial yeah. networks. And it's not just Channel 9, but, I mean, that stuff gets produced for around, <clears throat> I understand, two to $250,000 an episode. Still counts as local content. means you don't, you're not producing miniseries or, or, or drama series anymore, but uh, nowhere in the broadcasting act does it say that you actually have to do that. You just have to employ local people. Sketch comedy as well counts as drama. Well, actually, we don't have enough good sketch comedy on Australian TV, do we? I mean, <laughs> but even the bad sketch comedy gets counted for the drama points. Yeah, it's, um, I, it's not counted as quality. It, it, it's not the, the drama points don't count. And if as we wanted to be critical of uh, the local industry, then we could actually make the point that it would be cheaper if they were making content that was of a quality good enough to be able to sell into the US, uh, because it's got a lot more territories that it can sell into. So uh, each of the territories can get it for less, which is what. Uh, the drama out of the US is doing because yeah, they, they have a lot more viewers over there and they mm. sell it around the world. And of course, Australian drama, I mean, let's not laugh about it, but shows like Neighbours and Prisoner or Prisoner Cell Block H, as it's known overseas, ran fantastically well and in places like the United States. I can remember being in San Francisco mm. and seeing undubbed, and Americans do regard Australian as a foreign language, <laughs> undubbed episodes of Prisoner Cell Block H. And of course, in Europe, Australian shows used to sell very, very well because they were essentially good programs. That's what it really comes down to. If you make quality shows, you've got to assume that people will want to look at them. But, but it's a bit, a bit of a vicious circle, surely, because no one's 
watching Australian drama so no one's making it, but no one's making it because no one's watching it. And obviously, if if there isn't the volume of production, it's not going to be the same quality. Well, if you look at a show like um, Last Man Standing that uh, had a couple of people associated with 3 R producing it, um, Holly mm-hmm. C was a writer on that. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I, that was a show I really enjoyed, and it was a good stab at um, Melbourne-based local drama. It did actually yeah. have a New Zealand element to it as well because it was actually financed by a New Zealand production house. And it was hardly given a run. And I think one of the things that's really changed about local TV, if something doesn't work, they axe it within two or three yep. weeks. Ridiculous. And none of the great shows from the past, I mean, great in terms of being popular, did brilliantly in their first few months, but mm-hmm. they eventually sort of wore on to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, McAuliffe, for example, we were just talking about off air. <laughs> How good it would be to have the McAuliffe, uh, McAuliffe Tonight. Well, of course, but uh, Vega FM listeners are the great winners there then, aren't they? <laughs> yes, it, it seems so. For Ross, all the, the losing they do over the rest of the grid. <laughs> Ross, you've got uh, some, uh, some local news? Some very exciting news on the social front. Apparently, Paris Hilton is going to be in Sydney for an... Uh, no one's going to stop me what? and say that's not That's television. not TV. Yeah, I, but it's been such a slow news week. I, was, I, I thought you were somehow going to tie that in with a Channel no, 10 announcement. No, I, I do have a Channel <laughs> I thought, 10 announcement. I thought maybe Paris Hilton announced that Channel 10... <laughs> uh, apparently, Channel 10 have won the toss over the football rights, which means that uh, they will get the first... They will get three of the five grand finals. Which is, uh, which is great news for Channel 10. So they'll be broadcasting it in 2007, 2009, 2011. Uh, and when they're broadcasting it, Channel 7 will get to pick the finals, will get first pick of the finals for the first three weeks of finals. Right. So they'll have the pick of the, uh, of the good early finals. They'll also be broadcasting the pre-season and the Brownlow. Oh, so in the years that they don't have the grand the final, they, they will have, have the, the pre-season final. and the Brownlow. Yeah. And, and that then swaps to Channel 10 for those other years? Yep. Okay. It's quite astonishing. People are going to get used to sort of completely different commentary teams and things, gaming. And what's going to happen in 2007, of course, is each weekend during the home and away season, the games will be split between 7 and 10. Oh, well, I, I actually want to ask you about this because there's quite, still quite a bit of rumour on the internet that, that it will eventually have to go to Foxtel in some, in some form. Uh, Brett's been saying it every week on the show. I'm saying nothing. <laughs> I haven't t- spoken about it for months. I mean, we've had to stop talking about it on the show because the story changes every week. But but do you think uh, Foxtel have any shot at this point? At the moment, as I understand it, what happens is 7 and 10 have literally divvied up the, the four days over which football could be played, being Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and very occasionally Monday. And they've got sort of afternoon, evening, twilight games, different states, and that covers it all. But it's at their option to do it. So, you know, they don't have to do it. Foxtel is still waiting there. They feel that these guys are going to need the Foxtel money to help pay for it because football is very, very expensive. I mean, they did pay a record price for it. In fact, Channel 9 was happy just to let it go. So I think Foxtel will be involved eventually at some stage. Mm-hmm. But, but at it, the moment, not. And it's, it's interesting that uh, they've had all these negotiations with Fox and uh, 7 and 10 won't come to the party for the, the, the low figure that, Foxtel are talking about, but uh, off the back of that, they're talking about giving it to Channel 31 in Sydney or giving it to the SBS and uh, not actually getting any any royalties off it. Well, if they're giving away games they don't want anyway, why not? I mean, why not, why not pressure Foxtel? Because 31 and SBS can't afford to pay much for it anyway, yeah. but Foxtel can, and this is just a way of sort of dangling the carrot in front of them. But I think it's going to be really weird for the viewers next year. I mean, this year, of course, you had the home and away season done by Channel 9, then the, um, you know, the finals were suddenly very different. And from in 2007, depending on what game you happen to be watching, you'll have completely different commentary teams, different graphics, you know, different ways of doing the game. I just think that will be rather unusual. And it's something that we've seen. I mean, I, 
Channel Seven. If if you ever watched the uh, the the grand final marathon, when Chan- back when Channel Seven had the grand final exclusively, uh, the the AFL exclusively, and you could see how commentary improved, how televising the football improved, how they followed the ball, how technologies improved the way that football was televised, but also how the team that worked on televising that year in year out, much like the Channel Nine commentary team being the best in the world for for cricket. Uh, Channel 7 had an amazing amazing coverage of the uh, AFL. And as soon as that split to 9 and 10, you started getting people who weren't that used to it, who didn't really know how to call games as well for the television and you had uh, you had special effects teams who didn't know how to how to do that either. So Josh, your great concern here of course is that we go back to black and white, uh, single umpire, <laughs> uh, no 50 metre lines, all those sorts of things. You know, that I, we, we unlearn all that's been learnt over the past years. Uh, at least get years. the umps back in white. I don't, I don't care about how the football is played. I think it's more important how it's, uh, how it's broadcast and... Uh, Spoken like a true commentator. Yeah, and I, I think the... Uh, I think no. What we should do is uh, is go back to one team that goes from network to network, so that we do have consistency in in what we're watching. It's it's not that you know I, I'm a Carlton fan, much much like yourself, Tom, and uh, I don't want to have one game that's commentated by uh, by a great team, and then the next week go, oh, well, I'm not actually going to watch the game this week because the, it, it's going to be televised really poorly. Well, I think that's what you'll get next season. You'll get a lot of variability in your football. But, I mean, that's what football fans got to look forward to for five years now. So uh, get used to it. <laughs> Hooray. Uh, CBS uh, have, uh, well, as, as we discussed a few weeks ago, CBS have signed a deal with Channel 10. Channel 10 are getting a lot of CBS content. And CBS are now looking at buying out the CSI franchise from the current distributor AAC who uh, are looking at uh, basically get, getting rid of all of their assets. Uh, and it falls to CBS to have first dibs on the CSI franchise. What this means is that my prediction earlier this year is going to be right. And Channel 10... <laughs> oh, 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 your mistaken fact. You, is, were, you weren't predicting it at the time. You were saying it as fact at the time, which it wasn't. Maybe, much like Hero, I've travelled to the future and seen this. CSI could be on Channel 10 as early as next year, which would leave Channel 9 in the pooper. With Quizmonkey. It'll be a 12-hour day Quizmonkey. 12 hours of Quizmonkey. Well, well, of course, there was... uh, Now, I speak with some knowledge about this, but there might have been a bit of a stuff-up in Channel 9 when they severed the relationship with CBS. You think? They were taking... (laughs) They were... I've got a certain contract in place, which prevents me from saying too much, but um, they were... uh, They had this long-standing 20-year relationship. It might have even been 30 years for 60 minutes, and it wasn't actually costing that much. I think it was sort of in the vicinity of 4 or $5 million a year. And they got a lot of good stuff from Mm. 60 Minutes in the US, which is a very highly rated program. A a lot of the show, really, for local 60 Minutes. Absolutely. And again, for the same reason we talked about with with local drama production, it's cheaper to buy someone else's content than to go and make it all yourself. Uh, More on that later. But but the point being that someone somehow just told CBS to get stuff when CBS said, well, it's going to cost you a bit more this year. And so all of a sudden they've cut themselves off from you know a 25-year relationship of pretty good current affairs uh, journalism, just gone. And, of course, Channel 10 is absolutely thrilled. Now, I don't know if Channel 10 is going to pick up, you know, do its own version of 60 Minutes or just use bits and pieces in other programs, but he just couldn't believe the uh, what, what looked to be the bargain uh, that was put in front of it. 
Mm. And that, uh, I do want to talk to you uh, about that uh, a little bit later and how it uh, how it affects our eddy. So, uh, so we'll keep that for the the middle of the. But but I just want to ask quickly: is that is that how it happened? Somebody just said uh, that's just too much money. We're not going to pay it. Thinking I, that, I, I, thinking I, that CBS I honestly have... don't know exactly how it happened, but it was a bit like the, the story about um, when Nine got the football rights five years ago, yep. but agreed to give up the rights to the finals. Yep. And Kerry Packer was very ill at that time. Now I'm only he- I've only heard this as a rumor, but yeah. he just couldn't believe. He said, you know, "Do you understand how important finals football yeah. is, at yeah. least in the Melbourne market? Yeah, you know, incredibly important." And, you know, people sometimes make decisions which don't necessarily prove to be the most intelligent ones. Mm. Or some people, like you, make predictions, Josh, and just get them right every time. (laughs) That's true. And and like I said, in the pooper. I'm not going to make a segue with that. Brett Cropley. Uh, Victoria's first privacy commissioner, Paul Chadwick, will be the ABC's first censor. Or, sorry, director of editorial policies. Thank you. Thank you. Because this is I, the person that's going to be overseeing all the programs on ABC uh, TV and radio, and uh, determining that they're not biased in any way whatsoever, and that uh, both sides of the political spectrum have the opportunity to have their say about uh, any issue that comes up on the network. So we'll be seeing a lot more Andrew Bolt on ABC TV. I, I, don't, I, uh, I actually heard a, a great interview with him on Radio National's The Media Report mm-hmm. earlier this week, and uh, it seemed like he was he really knows what he's going to be doing there. I mean, it, he's made it very clear that he won't be a censor. That, oh, sorry, that, you're not talking about Andrew Bolt? No. <laughs> no, I'm talking about the guy. Paul Chadwick. Thank you. <laughs> also Ron referred to as the guy. The guy. <laughs> Uh, he, he he knows what he's going to be doing, and uh, and he said very, very clearly, uh, "I'm not going to be a censor." Uh, he said that he uh, he came on board under his own terms. That uh, that one of the reasons w- that he came on board was the ABC let him have his own terms, and they were very specifically only going to be about editorial po- uh, policy coverage. Uh, and and making everything equal, but the mere fact that position exists, I mean, it exists because of pressure from the federal government. Of course it mm. does. So you know, he can say, "Well, I'm doing it under my own terms and all the rest of it." But anybody who's been employed in a position can also be unemployed. It's funny. A couple of years ago, I was filling in um, on a show called Restoring the Balance on Triple J, which was uh, peopled by two ex Triple R people, the two crud boys, uh, Tony Moclear and uh, Julian Schiller. Oh, I remember. And, and Julian was away, and uh, and I had to fill in for him. And of course, um, restoring the balance prided itself on being overtly right winged. You know, one person was young national, and the other was a young liberal. It was a Colbert report before the Colbert report. Absolutely. But the um, the number of calls we got from outraged Triple J listeners who couldn't quite see the irony. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm not sure they actually need editorial policy, but they probably need people just to relax a little bit with listening to these things. But the thing about the balances, which I don't understand, I mean, you get people who have got very strong opinions on a topic and they express them and they can be, you know, talk show hosts or whatever, perhaps on 774 or the equivalent station in Sydney. Now, it doesn't mean that they have to be more balanced or does it just mean there have to be enough other programs or other people with perhaps divergent points of view. I mean, I just can't quite see how this is going to work. Every all, all the the talk that I've heard about has has pretty much been talking about uh, show to show. So, uh, and and the the show that's kind of been most targeted has been Media Watch, which isn't actually about 
lefty leaning stuff anyway. It's about highlighting uh, the deficiencies in in the way that media organisations actually operate. And uh, and you know Andrew Bolt's been critical of that for years and years and years. And now finally um, they're actually talking about making it kind of a panel show, and uh, and having having some from the left and some from the right talk about what's being reported in the media rather than, you know, that the Illawarra Mercury is, is screwing up again. Yeah, I, I, I still think, look, we don't know how this is going to play out because, you know, it's a new position. It will only really start this year. And to the extent that there isn't balance, you'd think it would take six to 12 months for any sort of change to be noticed. But you can guarantee that inside the ABC, both at South Bank here in Melbourne and Ultimo up in Sydney, that, you know, I mean, people will be just avoiding this guy like he's got sort of leprosy or something, <laughs> you know. I uh, I actually heard that what they're going to be doing is uh, while one opinion is being shown uh, by the presenter or or the guest on air, the uh, captions for the deaf are going to show the opposing Uh, view. Or or, or picture in picture of just a person shaking their head. No, 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 no. (laughs) Just briefly, uh, the AMC network in the US, which I'd never heard of before. Do you know anything about them, Josh? I I know what their logo looks like. Isn't that the bowling franchise, AMC? (laughs) That's AMF. (laughs) <laughs> oh, okay. Anyway, they're going to be remaking African. The... Uh, no. no, don't even try to work out. You are, don't try to work out the acronym. AMF is bowling. AMC is a cable network. That's all we need to know, Brett. Okay. That's all we need to know. There used to be the AMC Motor Corporation that made that car in uh, Wayne's World. You know when they were singing oh, the yeah, uh, the yeah. Queen song. Sure, yeah. that wasn't GMC. No, that was AMC. It was it was different. Okay. <laughs> anyway, they're remaking the Prisoner, which is a great sixties. Yes, sixties uh, show, The Prisoner. Yeah, um, we we talked about it uh, last year on Box Cutters. I uh, I sat down and watched all of it in one sitting. I think it starred uh, Patrick McGowan. That's yeah, right. But yeah. not only starred, he wrote, directed. Uh, was, he, was it was his grip, concept gaffer, and just just everything. Maybe actually, that's why it was so spun out. Well, he actually <laughs> wanted it to be seven episodes, and there are there are seven episodes that are in the that are in the original 13 I think it is that he said must be in it and then uh, the uh, the channel that he was on which I think was ITV uh, said no no we need to at least push this out to uh, to 13 mm. and uh, and and so Ross what your news is that AMC are re- oh, they're remaking, remaking it. it which should be available uh, already in 2008 and uh, whatever network they screen over there on they're also going to be screening the original at the same time? Ah, oh, for so a compare and contrast. Any word so. on who's playing number six? No word on any of it yet. And who was number one? He was you number one. You were. You were. You were number one and the time person the, of the, the year. The viewer was the, num- <laughs> the viewer was number one. Uh, and that... Really? Before... Sorry, I was going to end the news, but before we go, Brett, you've got a couple of important uh, death announcements. Yes, uh, you may have heard uh, over, over today, um, Simpsons saw what James <laughs> Brown has died of uh, pneumonia. Here's um, to absent friends. Yesterday morning, and um, the Sullivans... Terry Sullivan, actor Richard Morgan, has uh Lost his battle with motor neurone disease, and he died uh, Christmas Eve. And he was uh, he, he was a, a a great speaker on on the topic of motor neurone disease, especially in the in this last year. He made a number of appearances uh, on radio and television talking about uh, what was happening, and uh, and he was also a good actor. So uh, he will be missed. That brings us to the end of the Box Cutters News. We'll be back with our guest Tom Elliott. You are listening to Box Cutters on Three Triple R. Here is. 
a track. That was the Beastie Boys with Intergalactic taken from their... What, what, what was that album called? Hello, Hello Nasty. Nasty. And uh, what's the connection there with television? Well, they performed that slash, you know, mimed to a dubbed version uh, on Futurama. Ah, yes, indeed. Well, they had people in black moving their heads around in the jars. Yes, yes, because they were, they were heads in jars. They also did the uh, the Futurama theme music for the uh, for, for that the episode. Show. That's right. Mm. That's right. So it's the Beastie Boys. Televisions. The Beastie Boys. <laughs> You're listening to Box Cutters on 102.73 Triple R. This is uh, Jess McGuire, and you're listening to the lovely men of Box Cutters, who are always here to helpfully inform you of any existence of photos of Britney Spears giving birth on all fours, clutching lion's heads. Love nothing better. Download the hell out of it. And we're back. You are listening to 3RRR, Josh Canal, Ross McQueen, Brett Cropley, and our special guest, Tom Elliott. Yes, well, good evening again. Now, Tom, <laughs> you, uh, you recently ended your contract with Channel 9. Yes, well, it was one of those uh, mutually agreed decisions. You know, no one will say who dumped who. But no, I, uh, I signed a contract with Channel 9 about uh, five months ago to appear on the Sunday program. And what they did was they were going to merge Sunday and Business Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, probably again to cut costs, but, uh, and just have a sort of a finance segment. Of course, a lot of the, the talking I do on radio is about financial issues. And, um, you know, I'd been approached by Eddie McGuire, and it all seemed like really exciting, and he wanted to have... The, the idea was to have more of a... I guess an insiders. I mean, you mentioned Andrew Bolt on the ABC before. Well, of course, Insiders on Sunday morning is is a good example. The show hosted by Barry Cassidy, um, where you get different people and you actually have a panel style discussion. I've always thought that can work quite well on television, mm-hmm. especially with Andrew Bolt and David Marr. That's right. And you know, going and with Barry just weeks. keeping them apart yeah. from each other. <laughs> And um, my understanding was that's what Channel 9 was going to do, to sort of go into a new era. And, and people who watch Sunday will remember that, of course, Yarn Events had hosted it for more, more than 20 years. And there were some rather testy times when they weren't quite sure whether she was going to be the host or, as it turned out, Ellen Fanning and Ross Greenwood were going to be the host. But, you know, I, I was quite excited to be asked. I mean, it meant going up to Sydney every Sunday morning or Saturday night. It was quite a commitment. And uh, it was quite draining. But the idea was that I'd be the sort of go-to finance person on there. Because uh, Ross Greenwood is a finance person, isn't he? He is, but the idea was that he'd be a more general commentator on the program. So that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, and he would sort of talk to me about finance, but I'd be the sort of other person to yep. do that. So you wouldn't just record it at, at the end of the day on Friday and uh, shoot it up for the Sunday morning No, broadcast? no, no. The whole idea was, and this was, it was supposed to be a live talk, just like we're sitting here now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously with television, you've got to worry about your makeup and dress, and we don't clearly do, do a lot of that. But, um, you know, that was the idea, and I thought that was good. I mean, I think shows like that, when they work well, do work really well on television. You know, the original panel, of, you know, for coming at things from a different perspective from the mid-'90s mm-hmm. um, was a great show. I think The Insiders is a good show. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that other panel-style discussions, and there's, there's some good ones on the Fox network in the U.S., even with business where you get different stockbrokers and financing sort of people, and they, and they, they often argue with each other a bit. Anyway, that's not the way it really worked out. I sort of sat there, and um, the first few that I did, it was you know it was me just sort of being interviewed, and then if there was someone else, they would be interviewed, but I couldn't talk to the someone else. And the someone Which else is, was frequently on a screen next to me because they weren't in the studio. More like Late Line. Well, exactly, exactly like Tony Jones and Late Line. And, and, and that's okay, but it, it, it wasn't quite what I'd sort of envisaged we were going to do. So, you know, I thought, oh, well, we'll keep going with this. You know, after about four or five weeks, um, as was well publicised, James Packett sold um, a half interest in, well, not just the Nine Network, but the, the magazines and the, um, basically all his media assets to what they call a private equity company called CBC Asia Pacific. Mm-hmm. 
And um, he got an enormous sum of money. I mean, I, mean, I think he walked away with um, $4.2 or $4.5 billion for 50% interest. Now, his father, Kerry Packer, said, you know, you only get one Alan Bond in your life. Like, he sold the Nine Network to uh, Alan Bond in the late 80s for around a billion dollars and bought it back from Bond just a few years later for around $220 million. And so here's his son selling it again um, a decade and a half on for a really quite unbelievable sum of over $4 billion. And what happened after that was that the cost cutting that went through nine was apparently really quite dramatic. Now, you know, I noticed one week there was perhaps one fewer makeup person there and that sort of thing. But all of a sudden I wasn't being asked to do the program anymore. I think partly because the ratings had slipped a bit, but partly also I think it was just, you know, it was getting rather expensive to fly someone like me, you know, from Melbourne to Sydney every weekend, put me up in a hotel and you all that sort of thing. You require a full row on the plane. And, well, uh, you can stretch out. I mean, it's a whole class. hour of bread. I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, I like to feel comfortable and refreshed uh, before I go in front of a camera. Did, did you have to fly the expensive airlines where they give you meals? Well, uh, I think they had a policy of flying Qantas. So given there's a choice of two and the other airline, you, you buy your own drinks and chips and things. <laughs> it was that one. <laughs> you prima donna. <laughs> yeah, but uh, look, it was, it, was, it was interesting, but it made me realise I mean, the, the short-term imperatives of, of commercial TV. And we mentioned earlier that you know, these days if shows don't work, they, they'll often get axed very quickly. Well, there's been a bit of surgery done on that and other programs, the Sunday program, but then quite a few others. But uh, what is, I think, the most... Um, important change that's happened and it does involve Eddie Maguire who's you know a Melbourne boy come good and he's up there running it in Sydney is that to be honest when when a new group comes in and buys a half share and spends over four billion dollars doing it they're the ones that they're the ones that run the network they want a bit of a say they Mm. want a fair bit of a say and I don't know this for certain but I think that you know Eddie feels a little uh, probably peeved at James Packer having done this. But wasn't wasn't Eddie kind of in a position where he was getting dictated to anyway by John Alexander? Well, <laughs> one of the things... Oh, let it go! <laughs> one, of the things about, one, one of the things about the whole PBL structure is that there's quite a few chiefs, yeah. a lot of Indians too, but you know, there's Ashok Jacob on the investment side, John Alexander, James Packer himself, of course, Kerry Packer when he was alive. Uh, Sam Chisholm's been in and out of there over the years, etc. Elron Hubbard. Elron Hubbard. Uh, <laughs> aliens but it, of different yeah, hues. He was definitely in there, according to the affidavit. Uh, from look, look, he was. But my understanding is that Eddie really was given. I mean, they didn't. You know, he was one of their top-rating presenters. You know, with Millionaire and the Footy Show, and he was. Um, and for him to sort of say, "I'm going to not do that, and I'm going to run it." I mean, you know, he wanted to to have a, a, a reasonably free hand to run it. And I know that you know when he recruited me, I mean, he just tapped me on the shoulder and said, "Look, uh, you know, I think you'd be good at this. Um, I'd like to like to you know get you doing it." But um, I I just my guess is now that you know what is going to be very interesting next year is see Nine only just won the ratings battle this year, and, and for thirty years now, Nine's slogan on TV has been still the one, mm-hmm. and has been the one, and, mm-hmm. and that's to its credit that it's always won the ratings wars. Mm-hmm. But I think Channel Seven's within point two of a percent. Mm. Over the number, over how many rating surveys there were during two thousand and six. So Channel Nine's changing the logo. It's still still the one, but they're putting a question mark at the end. Almost the one, (laughs) not quite the one. Silver medalist. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we won't know until that happens. Yeah, and you know, I mean, they're still there to get ratings, but but it looks likely with the football. The the, the football makes a big difference. I think the new footy show hasn't been as popular as what the old one was. Mm Though any program that's more than ten years old probably suffers from that. But but the, but the really big issue is, and what will be interesting to see, is the new owners will take a far more pragmatic approach. And I'm talking about an investment company here. And they'll say, look, does it actually matter if we're not 
you know, number one. If we've got to spend so much more money to be number one, maybe it's okay to be number two, but be a much more profitable network. Mm-hmm. And, and Kerry Packer always had it, he, he always wanted to be number one in news and current affairs. Yep. Now, my understanding is that Channel 7 spends nationally around 100, and, no, about $100 million on news and current affairs. Mm-hmm. And Nine was spending until six or eight months ago around about $140 million a year. Don't hold me to those numbers. But the two were rating about the same. So, mm-hmm. you know, a financial person looks at that and says, well, you're spending $40 million too much. You know, fix it up. And that's the sort of thing that I think is probably happening. But, yep. but I think the difference there is that Channel 9 look at news and current affairs and uh, still think of the definitions of news and current affairs, whereas Channel 7 look at news and, news and current affairs and think that people sharpening their ice skates could also be news and current affairs. Well, that's maybe a fair criticism, although I've heard, heard it levied at uh, nine that just because you call a show a current affair doesn't mean yeah, it <laughs> mm. is. But um, I, think, I think they should change the title to A Current Affair and Breasts. <laughs> every, every, every single time oh, I no, see the ad... You don't want to overlook the dodgy tradesmen. I mean, that's, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, but, it, it, you know, I think tonight they're doing... They did... Uh, Find your ideal swimsuit, and uh, every, every second oh. week it's something about a miracle bra. So, Ross, so summer's coming. I mean, people have <laughs> and you wouldn't know. <laughs> bearing the uh, the dodgy tradesman in mind, and thinking about how much a name can grab ratings, wouldn't ass crack and breasts be a much better title? Josh, I can see a certain way that your mind's going, <laughs> and I don't know if it's, Channel 9 executives are listening. I sincerely hope you're not. It's but, pretty uh, much going the Channel 7 way. Your, your target audience is making his voice heard here. But no, but I think the, <laughs> the thing is, what we will see, I mean, the, the point you make about you know, 9 being very obsessed with news and current affairs, it always was. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was very much a Kerry Packer thing. And another thing that's happened at the Packer Empire is, and, and again, this is my own personal opinion, I think James, probably correctly so, is, is more interested in the growth prospects of gaming. The thing about media in Australia is it's a bit of a zero-sum game. You know, there's only so many eyeballs whether they're looking at computer screens or TV screens or listening to the radio. Mm-hmm. You know, all the manoeuvring you're seeing in the media world with people buying stakes in each other and whatever, it, it's the same amount of market or advertising dollars and viewers out there. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, you know, that's not going to change much in Australia. And I think James Pack is probably correctly has worked out that expanding his, his gambling interests into places like Macau is a far better use of the company's cash. So he's taken the cash out of media and put it into another sort of a business, which has been a mainstay of the um, of PBL since they bought Crown Casino uh, around 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, now, time will prove whether or not he's correct, but unlike his father, who's obsessed with the idea of news and current affairs and the number one network in Australia, I just don't think James Packer's... As he, I think he's a more hard-headed business person like that. And if someone's prepared to offer him a lot of money, as has happened, he'll take the money and go and do something else. So do you think... Out of all these share deals, so Channel 9 have done it, Channel 7 have done it, uh, 7's got into newspapers over in WA, uh, Channel 10 I think had a, had a sell-off of Well, uh, Can West. Uh, no, what's happening is Can West is a, a Canadian company that owns 56% economic interest in 10. It has announced the stake is up for sale, but it won't sell it until the media ownership laws come through. Channel 7 or Kerry Stokes has bought 15% of West Australian newspapers, but Kerry Stokes has also sold 50% of the 7 network to another private equity group, yep. Colbert yep. Cravis Roberts, who's the same company that was bidding for Coles recently. Mm-hmm. So um, you've had uh, Murdoch has taken a reasonably large stake in Fairfax newspapers. Yep. And Macquarie and also Ma- been a, a, a target from Liberty Media, was it? Yeah, Liberty, he's, he's actually sort of, that's a US, they've actually done a deal where John Malone's Liberty Media is out of, of News Corp. And finally, Macquarie Media Group, which I think owns... Um, 
a whole lot of regional stations, has bought uh, a stake in uh, Southern Cross Broadcasting, which owns, amongst other things, 3RW and uh, Magic 1278, as it's now called. So all the players are sort of manoeuvring. But until these media ownership laws change, you, you, you won't. if there is going to be a raft of full takeovers, you won't see it happen for at least a couple more months. So do you think uh, with all these, these companies coming in who are just in it for the investment and in it for the bottom line, do you think there's any way that this is actually a good thing for media consumers, viewers and listeners? Well, you were talking earlier about, and, and you know, um, Ross, you were saying about the, the dearth of local production and whether or not that's a good thing. Well, I was just saying it's not a good thing. The, the, the issue is I, I struggle to see how a lot of money is going to get spent on mm. local production now. I think if there's ways around it or ways to produce cheap stuff that satisfies the rules, that is what's going to happen. I mean, the 7 and 9 network now have a mountain of debt loaded onto them. And I mean a, a mountain. I mean, the $4.5 billion that Packard got, $1 billion was equity, 3.5, I understand, was debt. So that debt has to be serviced by the network, and that means cash flow, and that means cost-cutting and so forth. Can't be good for production. Um, the same thing, of course, is happening outside the sphere of television you know, with Qantas at the moment. Yep. So, you know, will we see services being cut there? I'm on record as saying they're going to get rid of pilots and just use the autopilot like, <laughs> you know, like in Flying High <laughs> 25 years ago. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I think, Brett, you will see. You, you almost have to see some sort of reduction in quality because there simply cannot be as much money to spend. And when two of the commercial networks have sort of effectively sold themselves and the third one, being Channel 10, is going to sell itself probably to a similar group who will load up with debt to buy it, mm-hmm. To me, I, I just think we're going to see more of the types of deals we saw with, the, uh, with that New Zealand show, mm-hmm. where it's cheaper to import something if they can. So do they not realise that if they're not actually in the business of broadcasting, whether it be pictures or, or audio, that people are going to start switching off and their investment is going to devalue? Well, well I mean, that is a big picture question. You might just say, well, of all Like the it's f- already happening with the internet well, and is, people downloading people, shows and People are already all switching of off. Uh, you know, what, which which is a lot about the networks haven't respected the viewers for a long time. It's all been about the advertisers. But also, why would you buy into what is possibly a, a, an ill industry? Well, it's, no, that's an, it's an excellent question because I, I don't understand why these investment groups, who are pretty hard-headed, smart people, I mean, they don't mm. do this just for the fun of it. They do it to make money. I don't know why they're buying into something like TV. I think they like the fact that in Australia, the federal government has made what appears to be an ironclad commitment of... No new free-to-air licences. Mm-hmm. And in terms of what they do with digital spectrum, you know, it looks like it's going to be very limited and you'll probably only be allowed to do it if you're already a free-to-air broadcaster anyway. But I think they overlook the threat of the internet, of people downloading television, whether it's legally or illegally. And at the moment, of course, the bulk of it's illegally. Um, and, and, and what that must be having... I, I saw that um, I think total internet advertising now is bigger than radio advertising. That's a big, big shift. I mean, it was only mm-hmm. a few years ago that that you know, cinema advertising pretty much disappeared, and it has. I mean, you don't see ads in the cinema anymore. Mm. Apart from Warner Brothers' movie world. Yeah, but, Which, but you only see them in village, only see them in village cinemas. Village cinemas. Mm. Now, I mean, how are we going to know about the various restaurants where you can bring your ticket stubs <laughs> and get a free garlic bread and things like that? I mean, that's gone from our cinema screens. And, oh, also, and also had a huge impact on our voiceover industry. You know, you know what actually killed cinema advertising, just as an aside? Like when they introduced reserved seating. Because you didn't have to get there early anymore to get a good seat. It was yes. one of those things they just put in. They didn't foresee that if people could ring up and get a reserved seat, they'll turn up one minute before the movie starts. Mm-hmm. And it's Why insights. Which is 20 minutes after the advertised time Absolutely. The and it's insights like that that make us love you as a guest, Tom Elliott. Thank you, you, are to, you are listening to Box Cutters on 3RRR. Our guest is Tom Elliott here 
is some Nick Cave. That was the very dramatic Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds from the Let Love In album. Red Right Hand was what we heard, and that appeared in the X-Files. Yes. Many, many years ago. Many years ago. Ross? Oh, quick question for Tom. Did, uh, did you leave Channel 9 amicably before or after you got your thongs? <laughs> no, I um, I left Channel Nine very amicably. I mean, uh, but, did, know, but did you get the thumbs? Did you get your that's, summer, that's summer party the, pack? No, I'm afraid I, I said to miss out on both the Christmas party and the summer party pack. The uh, again, the hampers in the old days were legendary at the Nine Network. Yeah, and I was also sad to see this year either no one got them or I didn't get one, but uh, I didn't get anything <laughs> like that. But right, no, I left, I left amicably. I mean, the thing is when. You know, when a show is just like not going the way you thought it was, um, I could have stayed for a year because I had a contract, but it just there wasn't any point. But, and, and I'm going back and doing uh, inside business reports on the ABC on Sunday mornings again next but year. The hampers are the true casualty of cost cutting. Well, they are, and I've noticed. I mean, notwithstanding the fact in the financial markets we've had a record year. I mean, you know, five six years ago there were some very expensive bottles of wine landing in uh, people's offices and things, and that seems to have stopped now. So, don't know. We'll be back after this ID. Hi, I'm Josie Pirelli from Chart Busting 80s and you're listening to the guys on Box Cutters. Now, last week I mentioned that this week I was going to be talking about the FCC, which is the Federal Communications Commission in the US. And uh, the we're kind of running out of time, but this is an important issue. Last week in the US, oral arguments began in court between the Federal Communications Commission and the Fox Network, who were joined by CBS in uh, basically complaining about some judgments that were handed down by the FCC. We followed this on box cutters a a little bit, but it's probably time to to clarify a little bit. Last March, we announced that the FCC issued indecency rulings against networks in the States, ABC, CBS and Fox. And the, the charge was dropped against ABC and CBS, but held against Fox's broadcast of the 2002 and 2003 Billboard Music Awards because they failed to offer any justification. Now, the issue that happened in those years was that people giving out awards or getting awards had said swear words. And Fox failed to justify that. These, however, were live broadcasts. Uh, Interestingly, there were no fines issued for any of the judgments because the events all occurred prior to a 2004 ruling... Uh, against any profanity being aired in live broadcasts. So what are they arguing about? Well, the the networks say that the FCC is overstepping its authority and presumably want all charges overturned. Uh, The FCC say that they are merely reflecting contemporary community standards. Uh, The question needs to be asked, though, from where are they taking these standards? The, The people in the United States are more than familiar with the words being spoken, and uh, and broadcast, and in fact, many times it is in fact these people who utter the supposedly unutterable on air. And uh, of course, the FCC are the kind of oxymoron of independent government body, and uh, they represent the desires of the government when they should be representing the, the desires of the community. It's really the government that they're focusing on. But thankfully, the, the judges in this court case are taking the FCC to task and questioning the validity of their claims. And I suppose one of the most important questions here is, why should we care mm-hmm. in Australia? Why should we care? And, uh, you know, we're still a separate country from the US as of today. Still a separate country 
from the US. The, the truth is that uh, the Wowsers are always going to try to stop progress. And profanity is a concept of the wow- Wowsers trying to disassociate themselves from the common. And uh, it, it all falls into the, the same bucket of English as far as I'm concerned. Language uh, is, is spoken and a word is used without malice, then why should it be offensive? In Australia, thankfully, we, we don't currently have issues with swearing on television. Sure, it's relegated to a late night shift, but uh, it is allowed. I mean, we, we can pretty much say anything we want on television, so long as it's not malicious, hateful, or inciting malice. Uh, the worst thing that could happen, though, is if the FCC was successful in this court battle at the moment, and then ACMA got some ideas about restricting our speech. I think that would uh, really clog up our airwaves. And in fact, possibly go beyond what they do in the States, much like they, they did with the proposed copyright les- legislation, uh, which is, is one of the most draconian pieces of, of uh, legislation that I've seen um, imposing on people's just normal rights. Well, that's right. $16,000 fines for using your camera phone to take a shot of Bono mm-hmm. at a concert. I mean, it's, it's not bad enough that we have, uh, that we have all this money being leaked out of our industry at the moment, but the idea that maybe we'll also be subject to the same restrictions where, uh, you, know, you know, somebody reporting a fire can't show firemen trying to fight it and swearing at the same time uh, would, would just be ridiculous. Well, my understanding is that the FCC in the US was heavily influenced by by the Bush uh, government and, 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 and therefore by the religious right. Yes. And one of the things they changed, uh, not uh, with regard to swearing, but of course in the early days of the Iraq war, there was this uh, concept of embedding journalists and really showing the thing, you know, pretty gritty footage and everything that came out. That's actually stopped now as uh, US casualties have mounted and mounted and mounted. They don't want to make the mistake or the mistake as they see it that they did in Vietnam, which was to, to show too graphic war footage. They also had a pol- policy of uh, media bodies not showing footage of coffins coming back. Yes, and there was a famous photo that someone took that got leaked. But uh, look, we started the program by uh, talking about the, uh, the chief censor at the ABC, Mr Chadwick, and uh, you know, arguably some people might say that is going down that same road, that notion that you should censor. I just remember in closing that the last, or the first time I heard a rude word on, it was on 3RRR about 12 or 13 years ago. And the first time I uttered one on air, Come my, on. my grandmother was listening and I said a rude word and she told me she was very, very upset with me. So community concerns are out there, Josh, and you abandoned them at your per, uh, peril. But really, RRR was the first place and you didn't hear anything from your old man. Uh, no, no, I said, I said on the radio. Okay. Uh, I, was, I think uh, the FCC should worry about uh, random nipple exposure. Go back to worrying about that. Well, they, swear words. remember they, they, find, uh, they find the broadcasters there as well for, mm. for showing a nipple surrounded by what seemed to be a metal sun. Uh, <laughs> Janet Jackson's wardrobe malfunction for yes. those uh, who couldn't remember. Yes, uh, it's time for pork. Hey, um, when I cast my pod... It's with the box cutters in mind. Box cutters. Pod. Cast. Done. Pork is on the table. Three minutes to wait on Triple R. Nick Taylor coming up with Beats Electric right after us. You're listening to Box Cutters. If you want to email us, you can. Hooray at boxcutters.net. Ross, you had a question. I did have a quick question for Tom. It's not really about TV, but uh, what well, can you no, tell you can't us? can't say it. What can you tell us about the situation at Carlton? 
Well, they, uh, are you going to join the board? They finished 16th out of 16 last year. <laughs> it's not very good. Now, there's three Carlton supporters no, 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 amongst but, four people on tonight. But what? that's, you know... They, they didn't they, finish 16th? No, they, they did, but they, uh, they, they've done badly for a number of years. Surely this shows consistency in the team. I think, I think for me the issue is, is that when you saw that the, the attempt to perhaps sack Dennis Pagan a few months ago... And with the board first, we're going to that, do that it. That was like they a ninja, very clean. <laughs> well, that, exactly, bloodless. It was a p- bit of poison dripped down a string, <laughs> James Bond style, 1967. Um, that um, the fact that um, they've increased the size of the board to 12 people. BHP Billiton, as far as I'm aware, doesn't have 12 directors on its board. It's ludicrous that a, that a, that a, you know, a football club the size of Carlton does. And, uh, you know, my, my commitment is, yes, I would like to go on the board at some stage. However, it must be as part of a, a clean sweep under a new president. Um, there is a candidate who's considering his options, but he's going to be a far more important person in this than what I will. I just seem to get the attention because of a certain surname I share with uh, <laughs> a former president of the Carlton Football Club. <laughs> I'm assuming I can count on your support. Oh, oh uh, definitely. De- definitely. I should probably take out membership. <laughs> if, if that's what you want. No, look, it may, it may or may not happen. Uh, you know, I think a lot of supporters think maybe the current board has got a bit mired down in issues. We'll see how it goes. It'll, all will become a bit clearer in the next few weeks. Because it would be the third president in how many years? Three years? Mm, four years? Two thousand two, five years. Five 2002 years. to 2007. And, and that mm. in itself is not a good thing, and I agree with that. Why? Maybe, mm. they, maybe they should have uh, changed their coaches that often. They might have had uh, some help. A lot of big issues to sort <laughs> out there. <coughs> anyway, this, uh, this is Box Cutters. We do talk about television. I want to uh, talk quickly about TV on the internet. Just quickly, Brett. TV on the internet. Uh, people who haven't seen any episodes of 30 Rock or Friday Night Lights, which are both excellent shows on... Well... 30 Rock, not so 30 much. Ro- 30 Rock's fun. Friday Night Lights, an excellent show on NBC in the States. Uh, from now up until mid-January, they will be streaming them on the NBC website. Can, can we get that in Australia, or we do probably, you need Brett's prob- Fancy? Yeah, we probably won't get that in Australia. You will need Brett's Special Fancy to, to watch that. Check out the website at boxhotels.net for instructions on that. Uh, also, I want to say that uh, we talked last week about uh, Daybreak getting axed in yes. the US. Yeah. Oh. Uh, they are going to stream those episodes over the in- the remaining episodes over the internet, apparently, and so hopefully they'll turn up on BitTorrent at some point. What a waste of bandwidth that will be! <laughs> Long term uh, <laughs> podcast listeners will know my fondness for Huff uh, with Hank Azaria and uh, Olivia Platt, Paget Brewster, and Blythe Danner. It's uh, back on tonight, eleven thirty till twelve thirty on the Seven Network. That's uh, t- Tuesday night for those listening on podcast now. Right. So because because you like it and nobody else does, people have to watch it now. Is that right? No, no. I'm, I'm CSA. Okay. Right. CSA. Right. That uh, brings us to the end of Box Cutters episode 66. I want to say thanks very much to Tom Elliott. Josh, it was a great pleasure. Brett, Ross, see you another time. Yes, been fantastic. Didn't I say fascinating and informative? You did. Yeah. You My did. name is Josh Canal. Ross McQueen. I continue to be Brett Cropley. Thanks for listening to Box Cutters. Catch us again next week, same bat time, same bat channel. And hey, let's be careful out there.